Tim and I, from the very outset, always wanted to get patient stories, and we've got a real nice tip on one here, and we have Lita McDaniel. She is both a physical therapy student as well as an individual recovering from chronic pain. This is Pain Refrain. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Pain Reframe. You know, these patient stories always hold kind of a special spot in my heart because at the end of the day, while we love talking about this as providers, it's really getting this information to folks who are dealing with it and recovering from it that is at the source of why we're doing what we do. So really cool. This conversation with Lita McDaniel, you're really going to enjoy because she has a, a very cool blend of having a pain history, but then also having the ability to access resources. So you're going to hear sort of how she put those things together to move forward. And hopefully this empowers a lot of you who are out there dealing with issues um, around the persistent pain realm or trying to manage and help others who are. So without further ado, let's get to our friend Lita McDaniel. Why don't you kind of give the audience a bit of background on kind of who you are, where you're at, and then I want to dive into the story. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Tim, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm a big fan and kind of surreal to be talking with you too. So it's great. So I'm currently in physical therapy school at Ohio University. I'm in my last year of school, set to graduate May of 2019. Transition from past patient story to helping patients is kind of the goal. Yeah, I have kind of a story of going through some chronic pain struggles of my own, falling a couple knee surgeries, different diagnoses along the way, found a way to piece together a lot of different lifestyle changes and holistic treatments to kind of get me on my way back to doing normal activities and being in school and all of those things. Very cool. Well, Lita, one thing I'll say is you know, a lot of the healthcare practitioners that Tim and I have have bumped into along this journey have come from a place of having experienced chronic pain themselves. And I think it it creates a certain kind of empathy that is unrivaled. So I have no doubt in your ability to to go forward and be of significant service and use to the population. You know, it's great for our listeners to hear stories of people who have kind of been through it and, and come out the other side and, and are excited about, you know, where things can go moving forward. Do you mind kind of painting that picture? I mean, can you let us know about what led to the surgeries? And Tim and I might jump in kind of during your story just to get some clarifying thoughts and dive a bit deeper. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of my experience started out, um, I was an athlete and always involved in sports. And after college, kind of got involved in some various activities just to stay fit and stay active and kind of weightlifting and running. And I was involved in uh, just a recreational soccer league one winter. And I ended up, I was playing indoor soccer and kind of stepped wrong on my left foot, just planted and my knee kind of caved in, kind of that standard valgus collapse mechanism of injury that you hear. And I tore my ACL. It was a full tear, didn't have any complicating factors. So intact, MCL, LCL, no meniscal tears. So it was really, as far as ACL tears go, kind of the ideal situation, I guess. And I had actually torn my opposite knee ACL maybe eight or 10 years prior playing basketball. And so knew it was a bad injury, but I was also pretty hopeful for full recovery. I'd kind of gotten back to everything I wanted to be able to do and playing sports and jumping, running, cutting, all those things. So I thought, all right, well, I'm in for this long rehab, but here I go. I'm going to find a good surgeon, find a good PT, put my head down and do the work and just kind of rehab and get back to the things I want to be able to do because I'm an active person. So 
I did. I found a surgeon, really good doctor, sports medicine doctor. I was living in California at the time in Sacramento. He did the surgery. It was kind of a standard bone patellar bone autographed ACL reconstruction. Uh, it was actually the same type of surgery that I had had prior. And so I felt pretty familiar. I wasn't healthcare professional at the time and not not as versed in the, the science of it, but I felt pretty comfortable as a patient having had it before, knew the process a little bit. I uh, started working with my physical therapist and I was really excited because he was so gung-ho about just pushing the rehab a little bit and getting me back as fast as we could. And you know, a few weeks or months after surgery, and he had me doing exercises, and I was really excited, and my knee hurt because I had had surgery, and it was swollen, and unfortunately, it just kept hurting and being swollen, and um, I was doing what he was telling me, but then at some point, maybe four to six weeks out, started thinking, something's just kind of wrong here. You know, I know I'm supposed to be in pain, and I had surgery, but it still feels like I just had surgery and I'm maybe four to six weeks out and then I was two months out and then three and four and I was still limping. My knee was still swollen and I thought, ah, this isn't so good. My PT kind of just kept saying, well, it'll go away. Just keep doing your exercises. Your quad's super weak, super inhibited. Um, We just got to get your quad strength back. I thought, okay, okay. I trust you. You're the professional here. I know it's a long process. And maybe three months out and the same thing was going on and I'm limping and I'm in pain all the time. Really kind of weird. And I thought, this isn't how this is supposed to go. So I went back and saw my doctor and he kind of gave me the same message. Like, you know, he had surgery. It takes a while. They kind of picked up on my personality. So eager to get back to sports. But I think they really didn't take a step back and say, hey, is this healing process going well? And they kind of dismissed me a little bit. And unfortunately, that cycle kind of just kept going on and I didn't know what was going on at the time. And I kind of just went along with it and then four or five months out and that was still the case. And I was really looking for answers because it hurt to walk and I was limping and, you know, I knew enough that at four or five months out, I should be way farther ahead in my rehab and my knee was just still killing me. You said something very intriguing about given that you'd had the history of previously having surgery, you started to sense this is not going well. And could you just reiterate when you started to have those feelings that that something's not right here? It was pretty early on, to be perfectly honest, maybe at about a month and when my knee was still swollen and I still found myself limpy and unable to engage in, now I know to call them activities of daily living, but really what it is, is to be able to go about your life and just perform your, your movements to get you to the grocery store and to get you around your house and walk up and down stairs and not really having a higher expectation of athletic demands on your body, but just being able to engage in the movements that you need to, to go about kind of a normal routine of daily living. And you're how old at this time, Lita? Five years ago. So I was 27 at the time. Yeah, so you think about that, a 27-year-old, after an ACL reconstruction, you're four weeks out and you're struggling with some of the basics of life, right? You say going to the store, kind of doing your thing. Yeah, not even talking about sports, just kind of doing your thing. There should be some alarm sounding in our head as clinicians at this point as well. So I'd love if you kind of proceed to that six-month point now. At six months, I was kind of with new physical therapist, had some new kind of diagnoses of impairments and a little bit of a new course and 
they were thinking at that point that I had developed some either patellar tendonitis or patellofemoral pain syndrome. And so they were treating it as such. I was still doing exercises and tried a course of autologous blood injection, which is pretty similar to platelet-rich plasma injection, or PRP it's often called. And the ABI didn't really help. It was a good attempt. I really didn't know what was going on with my knee, and I don't think they did either. But what I did know was that I still had this chronic pain and chronic inflammation in that joint. You know, it's fascinating. This is six months out, and I mean, no one has thought of uh, complex regional pain syndrome. Is that correct? Yeah. So at that point, that was not really suggested. As I went through the course of the next year, it was kind of in the back of my mind, but it was not really put forth by the doctors that I was working with. Subsequently, maybe at eight or 10 months out, found a doctor in the Bay Area in San Francisco uh, by the name of Dr. Scott Dye. And he has a treatment philosophy where he sees a lot, he sees tons of anterior knee pain and he's a knee pain specialist. And he tends to think that a lot of these treatment resistant anterior knee pain stories are cases of synovitis or an inflamed synovium. And he prescribes a really strict load restriction type treatment. And in some cases, surgery, synovectomy surgery to remove some of that inflamed, scarred joint capsule lining. And some of what he was telling me really resonated with my story of like, hey, you can't really find, I had repeat MRIs, we can't really find a ligament that's damaged, we can't really find a meniscus that's torn, but your joint is just so inflamed and irritated. And that's what's going on. And I thought, well, yeah, that's an explanation that makes sense to me and what I'm feeling. And so I really trusted him and his approach to letting the body heal. And I felt like pushing through all these exercises for the past 10 months or a year, I've never really taken that load restriction and time of rest to let the joint kind of calm down and heal. So I really followed his advice to the extreme. And I actually kind of self-imposed and started using crutches again, just to deload to the extent that I could try to calm down the inflammation, which helped a little bit with my pain, but didn't ultimately prove to be the solution. Followed along with his advice, fast forward into the spring. Now I'm almost two years out of surgery. And he did another surgery, which was a synovectomy with the idea that, hey, we can't find anything wrong, except for this potentially chronic inflammation. And maybe we can take out some of that scarred lining and kind of get you on your way and that surgery then kicked off my my joint was hypersensitive and surgery was in retrospect maybe not the best choice I, I felt like I had waited a long time I believe it did kick off kind of a more extreme kind of CRPS or sensitivity reaction did you say you were two years post-op yeah so that was two years post-op that I had the uh second surgery so as you were leading up to that second surgery and kind of exploring all options, you know, it sounds as though everybody was still, uh, maybe yourself included, the providers were still looking for a tissue to blame, you know, so we didn't see anything on the MRI, meniscus, ligament, et cetera, but maybe it's this other thing that we could cut out. Was there any, any exploring of alternative hypotheses that, that maybe it was sort of a nervous system driven pain syndrome or something that maybe wasn't where the tissue was the issue? Did that discussion come into light at all? Unfortunately, no. I myself didn't really learn about more of the underpinnings of chronic pain or sensitivity 
pain neuroscience education, blame pain, all of these things until actually after that second surgery when my pain got really bad. And the providers that I was working with were very much of this kind of pathoanatomic philosophy where let's find the tissue that's the problem. Let's find a mechanical solution or a mechanical explanation for your pain, whether that be a tissue that's injured or your biomechanics are poor and that's what's causing your pain. So it's a tracking problem or it's a loading problem or it's a strength problem. Kind of pick your impairment, right? Yeah. You know, I think we need to pause on that later. I'm still, I shouldn't be stunned because I see it in practice, but this unbelief, you know, by a medicine that if something is painful, uncomfortable, whatnot, that the thought is if we cut it out, it improves. And again, that is a belief system by the providers, right? By the system and by, by society as well, right? I mean, it's, if you have something there, well, just cut it out. We can get very philosophical here. It goes from musculoskeletal all the way up into, into cancer care. You know, that somehow this is solved by cutting it out. And I just, again, find it fascinating that two years out that we would still be considering that model. But I digress. Yeah, no, I agree with you. In retrospect, it's easy to kind of say, ah, what were we thinking? What was going on with that course of treatment? That was the experience. Well, what a fascinating conversation. I hope all of the listeners out there are enjoying this as much as I have. It's difficult to to hear some of these stories about just the challenges that folks go through when it comes to persistent pain. Let you know that ispinstitute.com has some excellent programming involved in how to really teach people about pain and how to really get good at assisting others that are in these chronic persistent pain states, and more importantly, preventing those states in the first place by just the right messaging around the areas of pain. So be sure and check them out at ispinstitute.com and also our friends at evidenceandmotion.com. We're doing some great work when it comes to hands-on coursework and integrated coursework, manual therapy and pain sciences, along with a variety of certification, residency, and fellowship programs. So now let's get back to Lita and her story. Following that surgery, Lita, so we're at two, two and a half years now, and how are things going, and, and what are the thought processes? Through this course of being very involved in physical therapy myself, gotten interested in, partially by necessity, but switching career paths and trying to pursue physical therapy as a career. And so actually at that point, I was just beginning PT school. So I had the surgery. And then two months later, I started uh, my first year of PT school at Ohio University. And they do a summer start. And so moved, I was living in California at the time, moved across the country, started PT school. And as kind of ironic or funny as it was, I began PT school on crutches <laughs> in the wake of this, this surgery. And really, really hopeful, really wanting to believe that this was kind of the turning point of some of the knee problems and pain and persistent kind of disability that I had had. And also this new beginning of starting school, I was excited. Unfortunately, like I said, it kind of kicked off some worsening pain and inflammation. And I developed not only more achy, probably more musculoskeletal tissue inflammation, pain, but I developed uh, quite a bit of nerve pain and kind of that burning described as like burning, gnawing, kind of electric pain and just this extreme hypersensitivity in my knee to the point that that first summer in PT school, I 
spent on crutches the whole time because I couldn't put any weight on my knee. If I moved my knee, it would hurt. I had pretty extreme uh, hyperalgesia, allodynia, so I couldn't stand kind of touch against my knee. I wore kind of one of the compression. I don't remember if it was a Ted hose or stockinette or I'm not quite sure what it was over my knee just to avoid kind of the brushing against my skin of clothing was irritating and just tried to not move it as much as possible. I kind of tried to seek new treatment providers in Ohio, but kind of had a bad experience and doctor that I ended up seeing kind of didn't really know what to do. He said, oh, I think you have CRPS. Why don't you go see a psychologist? And I thought, well, this is the end of me trying to seek care. I'm kind of fed up. And uh, I just went about the summer just doing the best I could. But it was pretty evident that my functioning wasn't very high. And come fall, my advisors at the university kind of said, look, we, we need to get you healthy before you can pursue being a good student and just getting the most out of this program as you can. And, you know, I did okay in my first semester, but they really had best wishes for me. And I said, yeah, I really appreciate it. And I deferred for a year. And so that next year was really kind of the soul searching year and I wasn't in school and I wasn't working. And so really my full-time job was to try to figure out my pain and get better and get back to normal living. And that's really what I poured all my efforts into. I just came out with a book actually about that year, about my experience of kind of all these different things that I tried to integrate into my life of positive inputs and just try anything that I could to try to calm down this inflammation and get back to a state of health so that my body could kind of heal and move past this, this insult, this injury. So Lita, I'm always curious. So where did you search for information? Because I'm always wondering, you know, when somebody has exhausted kind of what you might consider the traditional routes and they're really having a hard time and kind of grasping at straws for lack of a better term, you know, where were you looking? Where did you turn? Probably the people who know me will laugh at this, but I feel like I'm drawn towards logic and academics and science. And so my first thought was, well, I'm in this chronic pain state. I'm going to learn as much as I can about pain, about chronic pain. And so I started reading anything I could get my hands on. Patrick Walls, Pain, the Science of Suffering, the NOI group, Explain Pain, Graded Motor Imagery Handbook, which was incredibly helpful, Painful Yarns, Adrian Lau's work. I read quite a few different pain blogs. Body and Mind was a blog that I was visiting a lot. Pretty much anything that I could come across. Some of the early pain science work with J.J. Bonica and his theories on pain and analgesia. I had studied psychology in undergrad, and so I knew that pain was multifaceted. And so I really knew I had to put a lot of time and energy into the psychological aspect of pain. Mindfulness-based stress reduction was something that had been discussed in my psychology program as a treatment for chronic pain and one that had research support. And so I was thinking oh, to myself, oh, this is proven to work. Here's what I have. I might as well use one of the treatments I know that's proven to work. So there's um, a free online MBSR course that I kind of self-guided myself through, um, an eight-week free course. That's calusemindfulness.com. Incredible resource. And that's based on some of the work of John Kabat-Zinn, who developed MBSR, just an incredible teacher. I was reading his, his work as well. He has a book called Catastrophe Free Living, I believe. And there were some other mindfulness teachers, specifically one who's dealt with chronic spinal pain and was hugely inspirational and influential by the name of Vidyamala Birch. 
and she has some online resources. She's actually from New Zealand originally, has a couple books about her experience with really debilitating chronic pain and her mindfulness work to kind of cope with it and develop these pacing strategies for herself and acceptance strategies for herself. So as you're kind of gathering all these resources, Lita, was there a couple things, I mean, that clicked with you or, or were there a f- certain messages that, that really got the ship kind of turned around? I'm, I'm just so curious what the breakthroughs were, if any, at that point. Reading the pain neuroscience education completely changed my approach. It was kind of twofold. It made me very optimistic. It was sobering. It kind of caused me to be very realistic and say, hey, there are a lot of factors that contributed to my developing this chronic pain state. And I've been in pain for a long time. And it's going to take a long time to get out of it. So I think I now have a better understanding of what's going on. But now instead of just thinking about, hey, I need to do surgery to fix this tissue injury, I started having the belief that, hey, I need to retrain my brain to not feel pain. And that's a whole different ballgame. To me, it felt kind of overwhelming at times, but it also felt like, okay, now I have this new goal in mind or this new thing that I can believe in to create change in my body and in my life that I want to see. How are you now? I mean, how has your work with reframing your understanding and kind of making peace with the past and and, and moving forward, where are you now and, and how are things going? Thanks for asking. Yeah, things are really, really great. That year was a really hard year for me. I ended up being on crutches for about nine months of that year before I was able to start reintroducing some loading to my body. Sure enough, I kind of pieced together all these different inputs, positive inputs, I like to call them, within that year and with which I kind of talk about in my book a little bit, these stories of how I really engineered my lifestyle around all these positive inputs and pursuit of healing. And through the course of that year, I kind of got back to walking. I got back to pain-free activities of daily living. I ended up really resolving a lot of the nerve pain to where at that at the maybe 10-month mark of that kind of last year, the year I took off from, from PT school, I didn't have any nerve pain. And I was completely off medication. And when I got back to school in the fall, I wouldn't say I was as good as new, but uh, I didn't have any pain beyond a little bit of soreness if I pushed a little bit too hard in the gym. And, you know, I was still very hesitant to do higher level athletic activities. But then over the course of the next year, I'm actually back to running. I'm trail running. I just went for an hour run the other day on streets. And that was pretty dang cool. And I'm weightlifting and pretty much as active as I want to be these days, not in pain at all, really. I think all the patients who listen, and we do have a lot of them, um, are going to find that encouraging. And I, lo- I love that you that you said, you know, that moment of kind of reckoning and humbling that it's going to be slow. Like it took me a long time to get here. We're going to walk out of this or maybe limp on crutches for nine months out of this slowly. But the point is, it's going to be a process. And I think that the moment you sit back and say, I'm going to embrace that. And we're going to go for small steps forward, you know, in hopes that we can get to a point um, of living our lives, you know, close to the way that we'd like to. I, I think that's an extremely powerful time. It's not an easy piece to reach, but I think that if you can, if you can get there, kind of mind, body, spirit in, in that vein, 
good things can happen. Yeah, that's exactly right. First of all, I want to apologize to you. Now it is five years later, Lita, that, you know, seeing all these providers and really the the best provider you sought out was yourself. It speaks to the utter failure we've had in managing pain in this country. On a positive note, I look and say, you know, you're going to be an incredible advocate, resource, and change agent as you go through with not only your skill set you're developing, but your empathy, understanding, and authenticity that you can bring to your patient engagement when you're working with patients. I always like to say when, you know, to my students, I say, you know, yeah, I don't wish suffering on anyone. That is not, not what we're here. But there is something to be said for when we've had deep aches and deep heartache and deep pain, our ability to truly connect with others goes up. At some point, just how, you know, I really think, you know, we'll look back, you're going to be a change agent when it comes to pain management in this country. Uh, well, I really appreciate that. I really do. And I just want to say too, you know, I, I really have no ill will towards the providers that I saw through my path. As I've listened to kind of repeatedly on your podcast, stories from patients and stories from providers, I truly believe that we all kind of do the best that we can with the knowledge and the resources that we have up until the point that we do. But like you said, it doesn't mean that we can't do better in the care that we're providing to patients and the knowledge that we're utilizing. And so one of the things that I keep thinking about quite a lot, actually, is this idea that both for patients, for healthcare providers and treating chronic pain patients, and then also looking back at the care that's provided, I really think it's important to create this sense of agency without blame. So in other words, we really want to say to patients, hey, look, you have this chronic pain state and you're in this condition that you are and it's not your fault, but at the same time, there is potential for you to take action to make your situation better. And I think that's the same thing looking to providers. Like, hey, really, the doctors I saw, the physical therapist, you know, it's not your fault for the care that you provided because you were doing the best that you could. But at the same time, you can do better, right? You can continue to learn and take continuing education and collaborate with other professionals and really improve your understanding of pain and your ability to work with patients who are in pain acutely and chronically. How do people get a hold of you and learn about what you've been doing out there? Earlier this summer, I published that book kind of on stories from that last year of my healing. It was called Moments from a Year of Healing, a book of memories and essays. Published it on Amazon. So there's an ebook edition and there's also a, a print edition. So that's one way to kind of hear more about my experience. I try to stay active blogging, sapiensmoves.wordpress.com. So I blog mostly on movement-related, physical therapy-related topics. Feel free to get in touch. Uh, my email is lita.mcdaniel1 at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear from people, whether patients, providers, anybody who's wants to share their story or is more interested in the steps I took in my journey of healing. I know everybody's is different, but I'd be happy to share what I went through if it's helpful for others. Very cool. Lita, one more thing. I love when our when our paths cross with kind of the pain reframe community that's that's developed now. Did you connect with Melissa Katie recently? 
Yeah, I did. She has some great resources for pain sufferers, and she actually reached out. I did an interview with her. Very cool. Yeah, so folks, check that out too. Um, pain Out Loud, that, that's Melissa's hub. So make sure to check that out as well. Well, Lita, thank you so much. I mean, good luck with everything, and thanks for taking time. And again, like Tim said, it's going to be great to have you as a colleague in this in this bit of an epic battle that we have going on that I think ultimately we're going to win as long as we can be patient and see it as a long game. Definitely. Thank you both for your time. Much appreciated. Well, what a great episode. Thanks so much to Lita for really sharing her story. And I, again, appreciate the fact that people share their stories to the listeners about really what they've gone through. And in this case, years of challenges uh, around the area of persistent pain. So I hope all the listeners picked out some nuggets from this uh, episode and encourage all of you to reach out and check out the resources that are provided and, and look at the show notes for some of the links that are there. And we're hoping that each of you have a most excellent summer day. Pain Reframed is brought to you by our sponsor, the International Spine and Pain Institute. Check out their transformative pain science programming at ispinstitute.com.